The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Gork's Red FM. Welcome to the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. I'm your host, Jer McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at jermccarthy 74 On this week's show, AFLW expert and Aussie rules coach Mike Curran returns to review the latest round of the AFLW season final series, review how all the Irish players got on, and look ahead to this weekend's AFLW semi-finals. Monster Hockey PRO Graham Catchball is back in the bench to review the latest round of Monster Women's Club and Interpro Hockey results. Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley rejoins the Big Red Bench to preview this weekend's Brazilian Grand Prix, plus all the latest on and off track F1 gossip. EchoLive.ie and Echo columnist Mary Newman joins me on the Big Red Bench to review this season's SE Systems Cork Camogie Intermediate Championship and an epic county final and replay between Ahabolog and Black Rock. Monster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan is on the show to round up all the latest women's AIL, women's senior and underage results. And we hear from the newly crowned Monster Junior LGFA champions Neva Bond, who speak about their Monster final success over Ula from Limerick. That's all to come on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. AFLW expert and Aussie rules coach Mike Curran joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to review the latest round of AFLW 7.0 final series games. We look at all the Irish players and how they fared over a very busy weekend as Melbourne Demons overcame Adelaide Crows, Brisbane defeated the Richmond Tigers, the North Melbourne Kangaroos proved too strong for Geelong and the Collingwood Crows knocked out the Western Bulldogs. Plus, Mike and I preview all this weekend's AFLW semi-finals. Now on the big red bench, we have reached the NAB AFLW finals series stage of season seven of the Australian Women's Rules Football down in Australia. It's a very, very exciting time. A lot of Irish interest and the first round of, of finals um, are in the books ahead of this upcoming weekend's next round of finals to take us through what's happened, uh, what is about to happen and predict the whole thing right to the end. No pressure there. Our resident AFLW expert, AFLW Ireland's Mike Curran. Mike, how are you? Hi, Jerry. Very good. The games might be getting fewer, but they're getting more important every week now. Are they what? Uh, they certainly, only in Aussie rules, could you have a couple of weeks of finals instead of just one final? I like the way they do that. It does add another uh, element of prestige, and it certainly ups the ante because it's like uh, we're getting to the stage, and we're at the stage now where it's win or go home for a lot of the clubs still involved. Last weekend, we had the beginnings of the qualifying and elimination finals on Friday, November the 4th. The first of those uh, qualifying finals took place um, between Melbourne and between the Adelaide Crows. Melbourne coming out on top 48-27 and got off to a very good start, which they need, uh, or the Adelaide Crows are the ones that got off to the good start, Mike, but it was Melbourne and their final quarter surge that took them through. It was, and look, it's something that was seen so often, but the way the Crows came out of the blocks here, they scored three goals to nil in the first quarter, including the fastest ever goal scored in AFLW history after 19 seconds by Daniel Ponter. So they could not have had a better start than that. And you're looking at it thinking, Jesus, Adelaide might, um, might run away with this. But Melbourne did the same thing in the second quarter. They kicked three goals to no score. score. So there's only three points in it right up to three-quarter time. And as we've seen so many times in the season, the fourth quarter, the final quarter, seems to be Melbourne Demons' quarter. They made a burst um, with three goals to get them over the line for that win, 48-27. to 27. So, look, at they're through um, with a win over the reigning champs. They're into the preliminary final. We had two brilliant midfields on show here, and it seemed to be that the Demons' midfield got the better of their close counterparts with the likes of Anne Hatcher and Ebony Marinov not being as dominant as usual. 
And Taylor Harris did a lot of rook work for the Demons, sharing the rooking with Lauren Pierce, and was very impressive there as well. And then on the Crows side, we had Captain Chelsea Randall was back from injury possibly a week earlier than expected or or possibly a week earlier than she should have. But she played and spent most of her time in the forwards. But when the pressure was on in that last quarter, she got thrown into the middle of the field and she ended up going off again with a head knock. So she has been through the wars every round for the last few rounds. But yeah, at the end of the game, it's Melbourne that are true to the prelim. They've got a week's rest, which is worth anything at this stage of the competition. And the Crows go into battle again next weekend in a semi-final. Indeed they do and as you said at this time of the season uh, and after such a long season and such an arduous and attritional season <clears throat> excuse me Melbourne will be glad of that break on Saturday we had the second we, just, of, sorry, we, sorry. we didn't we didn't do the Irish players there oh, we didn't, sorry. just going to run through them um, obviously for Melbourne there Sinead Goldrick and Blind Mackin both very impressive again uh, Goldie has been coming good across the last few weeks her, herself and the full half-back line for the Demons were brilliant. She had eight disposals on the night, six tackles, ferocious tackling from goalie. Blind Mackin playing on the wing in her first season, in her fin- first finals match, 15 disposals, two clearances, absolutely brilliant. There's some highlight reels up of Blind selling dummies for fun all night long. She looks like a player that's been playing for years at this stage, but it is hard to believe it's only her first season. But she is flying it and bringing great run to the midfield there for the Crows. And then on the Crows side, we had uh, Neve Kelly playing with nine disposals as well. So a reasonably good game from, from Neve Kelly. And how good was it to see Ailish Constant, who's still on her rehab uh, journey, out representing the Crows at the finals press release last week. And that's a press photo shoot with the Cup and that. And of course, no Irish player has been closer to the Cup on more occasions than Ailish Constant. So there's still a chance we might see her across the next couple of weeks. And hopefully we do. Yes, hopefully, because somebody, as we said before, two-time Premiership winner, Ailish Considine, what a player and what a, what a representative of, for Ireland she has been in Australia. And it was refreshing to see her and see her in such good form as well, Mike, I would imagine, considering all the injury woes <clears throat> to get, you know, to get the, even that time in the, the PR element of it. It does make her feel that bit closer. Oh, it definitely does. And look, there was eight players from, from the eight teams in the final series at the press release. She was the only person there that had ever won the cup before. So absolutely fantastic. It's brilliant to see that being recognised. And as you said, she's played in three grand finals, won two of them. No one is more experienced at this level of the game and no one is more honoured in terms of premiership medals. So yeah, she's keeping positive. She's battling hard. She's back playing uh, contact this week, as far as I know. So she's closer. Um, time is running up, but she is closer. But uh, if she makes it back at this stage of the season, it will be a bonus and she'll obviously be delighted um, because it is the business into the season. Indeed it is and we wish her well in her ongoing recovery but it's good to see her in such good spirits. On to Saturday and the second of the qualifying finals and Orla O'Dwyer's Brisbane Lions got the better of the Richmond Tigers 39-22. Even though it was a 17-point winning margin, Mike, this was close for long stages of this particular game. Well, we were we were joking about this one last week. The Lions versus the Tigers. It was a, a, a headline writer's dream when they dubbed it the battle to find the queen of the jungle down in Australia. And you nailed it. Even enough first quarter. And look at why wouldn't it be? The Tigers came out highly contested as expected they would because this was their first ever final. So they were going to come out all guns bla- blazing. So it was even uh, at the end of the first quarter. But then... In the second quarter, the Lions burst with three goals and three behinds. That put them in front, and they stayed in that position pretty much right through the game. Uh, they are the minor premiers, remember. They've claimed the win, and they've avenged their round five loss to the Tigers, which we mentioned last week as well. 
Uh, so they have a week's break coming up now as well. And prior to this, remember, the Tigers team hadn't lost in eight games going way back to the start of September. So they'll be a little bit disappointed, but they have that double chance and, and that's what they've been speaking about the last couple of weeks, the benefit of getting into the four. So they're in action again um, next week. But the Lions, yeah, they were able to use and their mids and their wings a bit better in a very tight game, including Orlo Dwyer that you've mentioned there, to kind of run past a strong Tigers defence Orla Odoir, 14 disposals on the night, 10 kicks, 2 marks, 5 tackles, 3 clearances. Brilliant display from her, as you'd expect, but uh, even getting better as it comes through uh, to the finals and the important games. And incidentally, for the Tigers, this was the highest score they'd conceded all season. But as we mentioned, they'll be reasonably happy. And particularly that they showed a strong comeback in the final quarter with two goals from their captain Katie Brennan but yeah it's Brisbane looking impressive as ever they have a week off and they have a preliminary final at home in Queensland it might be in Brisbane because there's some issues with stadiums but it will be in Queensland and they'll be looking forward to whoever comes up from the semi-final next weekend Yes indeed the minor premiers Brisbane Lions looking really strong heading into that as you said and good to see Orla Dwyer fully fit and flying and making a real impact with her club. The first of the elimination finals took place on also last Saturday Mike and it was Geelong Cats who lost out to the North Melbourne Kangaroos 16-40. Now I watched a good bit of this and correct me if I'm wrong this is a physical sport at its at its absolute best. It's fast, it's pacey, it's unbelievably skillful. This was unbelievably uh, in my opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, physical, intense, everything that you'd expect. Some of the tackles were absolutely shuddering to look at, but the kangaroos come out on top in the end. They did, and just about. And look at if you're trying to explain to people what's the difference between a qualifying final and an elimination final, this is it. Elimination means you are out, and this was low-scoring, scrappy, high-pressure game from start to finish. North only scored a behind a quarter in quarters two, three, and four. It was a titanic battle. And we saw what it meant to North when they won there at the final siren, just getting over the line by those two lines. Like, Geelong were very good. They dominated for large portions of the game, but they just couldn't score between the big sticks and clocked up um, a high total of behinds. They got eight behinds in total for the game. So North's inaccuracy has been costing them at various stages across the season. But here, it was the opposition's inaccuracy that actually worked to North's advantage. And of course, they were brilliant and desperation in their defending as well, as you uh, as you pointed out. But that's why I don't qualify for... Um, for a semi-final, which in our language, of course, is a quarter-final, but we're, we're going to get very confused on it. But in terms of the players, North's captain, Emma Carney, was back. She had missed a couple of weeks. That made a huge impact. Um, both these teams normally play free-flowing, high-scoring footy, as you mentioned, but it is the finals. It's a different ball game. That finals pressure kicked in, and we saw the exact opposite, as you mentioned. But it was intriguing, if nothing else. It turned out to be a battle of nerves, with North just about holding out in terms of the Irish players then, we had Vicky Wall up front for North Melbourne scoring a behind, which in this particular game was as valuable as a goal as it turned out. A five, five disposals for the night and three tackles. On the other side, Rachel Kearns for Geelong also scoring a behind. Ten disposals for her, uh, three marks and as well. So very good night for Rachel Kearns, but unfortunately that's the last we see her for this season. And then just on the final update on the Irish players, we had some good news for Eric O'Shea. This week, of course, her mother Maria and sister Carla went out last minute as a surprise after she had a pretty tough week last week with her eye injury. Um, Erica's mom Maria just rang me today to say they've had a, a doctor's appointment at the hospital and she's got the fully all clear with her brilliant. eye. So there's no damage whatsoever there. So that's brilliant. They're ecstatic with that. And now it remains to be seen 
if we see um, Erica O'Shea back in action for the semi-final this weekend and I highly suspect we should and now that she's got that all clear so that'll be even more exciting Yes, fantastic news for the Kangaroos. Obviously, disappointment for the for the Irish contingent, as we said with Geelong Cats. They're gone now, but Kangaroos have been, you know, consistent. Nothing but if, if if not consistent all year. Vicky Wall as well showing up as you said with five disposals in that game, and the th- the chance that Erica may well play in the semi final this weekend will be another boost for the North Melbourne Kangaroos. Finally, Mike, on Sunday, the last of the elimination finals was between Collingwood and the Western Bulldogs, and this turned into be a really entertaining game that was won by Collingwood 40 to 35 heartbreak for the Bulldogs but Collingwood um, the Pies always a difficult team to play against and are they coming to the boil at just the right time? They are and look they've been going pretty good all season and we've mentioned a few times they were actually pretty disappointed to have two losses in their last two games um, towards the end of the regular season against the Crows and the Lions which are obviously two of the top teams so they wanted a big bounce back here at, at the finals and, and they got that I suppose it, it was an early finish again though just 40 points to 35 just 5 points in it in the end but that was uh, due to the Bulldogs making a frantic comeback in the final quarter despite being 17 points behind at three quarter time so Hollingwood led for most of the game and their lead was mainly due to the brilliant individual performance of Eliza James who scored four goals in one game. So that's the most goals ever scored in a finals match in AFLW by an individual player. So the Bulldogs are known for their fast footy, but Collingwood defence were really up for defence, excelled on this occasion. Ruby Slicer, who we know is a great friend of Sarah Rose, was playing her 50th game. She was brilliant, along with Livingston and Brazal in, in the defence there. So look, it was a great season for the Bulldogs. They're, they met their first final since winning the competition in 2018 they're a relatively young team the next step in terms of their building is to beat a top seven side an interesting stat is they didn't do so this season at all against the top teams in four attempts so I think they'll be relatively happy for Collingwood yes they're going to be delighted to be true to the semi-finals but they're going to have a battle on their hands next weekend as they have to head up to South Australia to take on the Crows they're also heading up there with some injury concerns Notably, one of those is their Irish star, CRO, who didn't see much game time at all in this game, going off relatively early with a knock and staying off. So that's of concern. We don't have an update at the minute um, as to the severity of that. And hopefully Sarah will be okay for the for the next game. Ashling Sheridan got through the game okay with a reasonably um, solid display as well. And also um, Ruby Slicer is an injury concern. So Collingwood are taking a few injury concerns into the next round, but will be happy to be there because that was their aim. Indeed it was. And that <clears throat> that concludes the opening round of weekend finals in the NAB AFLW final series. Now we turn our attention to this weekend and let's just talk about the two semi-finals that are taking place on Saturday, November the 12th. Mike, you've alluded to them there. The Adelaide Crows uh, will be taken on Collingwood at the Unley Oval. That's at 5.40am Irish time. And at 3.40am Irish time, Richmond and North Melbourne meeting in the Swinburne Centre Punt Road. Um I would look from what I've seen over the weekend and again I haven't seen extent of, it's been based on the highlights and based on the match reports that I've read I'm looking at the Adelaide Crows and Collingwood being like as you said a really good game but Adelaide probably having just too much for Collingwood that's what I'm leaning towards whereas the first one between Richmond and North Melbourne um, North Melbourne will probably have to produce the performance of the season if they're going to overcome Richmond am I wrong on both counts or what, do you, what way do you think these two semi-finals will go on Saturday? I think that's pretty close. They're, they're both games are going to be pretty close. I'd imagine, you know, Adelaide versus Collingwood. It's up in Adelaide, so the Crows will be back at home. Uh, these two teams met in round four already, and the score was 2-9-21 Adelaide, 2-4-16 Collingwood. Only five points in it. 
and that game was most no, most noticeable from an Irish point of view unfortunately for two big injuries that was the game that Neve Kelly dislocated her shoulder mm. and Ashling Sheridan damaged her knee and both of them missed three or four rounds after that uh, so it's great to see them back in action when they come head to head again next weekend but yeah Adelaide versus Collingwood. Collingwood really want to make that step into a preliminary final or grand final. The Crows are after losing to Melbourne twice this season. I think they're really going to want to bounce back from that. And with a home crowd at their back next weekend, I'd slightly favour them, but there won't be much in it because I think Collingwood are on an upward spiral as well, for sure. And then if you look at North versus Tigers, can they get closer? They met in round 10 a couple of weeks ago and it was a 27-point each draw. Uh, mm. So there's nothing between those two teams. Uh, they'll know each other well. They'll be familiar with each other. The Tigers have just lost their first game in nine weeks. They're not going to like that. And this is their second chance. So they really have nothing to lose. You know, got to a finals, got a double chance. Here's their second chance. So probably a little bit more pressure on North from that point of view. But look, this one is going to be intense. It's been played at a venue at Tund Road, which is Richmond's home ground, which has a relatively small capacity. There's a little bit of controversy about it. There's an unavailability of larger grounds at the minute in Australia with the cricket season. So this sold out in about three minutes, I think, today. Wow. So it's going to be packed. You can Half of the perimeter of the oval is on a public footpath, and not only will there be thousands of people inside the game, you won't be able to walk around Punt Road either on Saturday with people queuing three or four deep outside in the footpath, I'd imagine. So yeah, two intriguing games, uh, one after the other, within a couple of hours, and come Saturday evening, we know which two teams move on to face the top two in the preliminary finals, but two intriguing battles and plenty of Irish interest. Yes, lots of Irish interest, as we said. And those two semi-finals, Richmond taking on North Melbourne. Now, the winners of that semi-final will go ahead to the following weekend to take on the Melbourne Demons, whereas the winners of the Adelaide Crows and Collingwood game um, will face Brisbane Lions in the preliminary finals the weekend after next. And then we'll have the winners of that going through to the grand final itself. So we're getting to the nitty-gritty. We're getting down now to the real, real, real important stuff. It's just kicked off this past weekend. The intensity and the pressure is going to be even more for the coming weekend. On Saturday, November the 12th, just to reiterate, the NAB AFLW Series semi-finals, Richmond and North Melbourne at 3.40am Irish time, and then the second one, Adelaide Crows and Collingwood at 5.40am Irish time. Before I let you go, Mike, you're heading off down under to Australia uh, quite shortly uh, to be to be there and to be present for the last few weeks of what's been a fantastic season. You must be looking forward to it, I would imagine, and you've a lot of uh, people to catch up with when you get over there. Incredibly excited, Jerry. Yeah, I'll be heading off in a few days, the start of next week, and hoping to get to one, if not two, of the preliminary finals, depending on the fixtures and the grand final the week after. And in between that, we'll be catching up with our Irish AFLW players over there. And even more excitingly, even though it seems a long way off, but it's not, we'll be meeting all the clubs in terms of the new Irish players that I'm working with for next year and, and hopefully making some plans to get the next batch of Irish stars over there for season 2023. So we haven't even got to the end of season 22 yet, but uh, we are deeply involved in trying to get some Irish players over there for next year. And I suppose, yeah, um, I haven't been over in two or three years now with COVID, so it's brilliant to get over, be there for finals, soak up a bit of the atmosphere, get to a few games and get plenty of uh, meetings with the clubs and players as well. So it's going to be pretty hectic and... uh, I look forward to calling in from Oz and, and touching base to you, uh, possibly from some of the games over there as well. 
And we here on the Big Red Bench and Cork Street FM really appreciate that, Mike. And we look forward to hearing from you on the other side of the globe. Uh, safe travels, my friend. Uh, thanks once again for all your value, invaluable insight and expert opinions on this. We're getting now to the exciting part of the season. It's going to be fantastic. And even when it's all over, I just know we're going to have even more to talk about, Mike, when you do finally come back. But in the meantime, as we said, safe travels. And thanks for being with us here on the Big Red Bench once again. Fantastic, Jerry. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Mel. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Munster Hockey PRO Graham Catchball is back on the Big Red Bench to talk about a big weekend of Interpros involving the under 16s, 18s, 21s Munster sides performing superbly against Connacht. We review last weekend's Irish Senior Cup and Trophy competitions involving Munster clubs, the Irish EY Hockey and Munster Senior League updates, plus a preview of some big games involving Munster hockey clubs this coming weekend. Now, it's a very busy time of the year for Munster women's hockey, both at women's EY level uh, in the Cups and the Trophies and also at Women's Munster Division 1 level. So we're delighted to be joined once again here on the Big Red Bench by the Munster women's hockey PRO, Graham Catchball. Graham, you're very welcome back to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me, Jack. Very good. Good, good, good. It's been very, very busy. And before we even get in uh, to the Irish Senior Cup or the Irish Hockey Trophy and how the uh, Munster clubs got on there, we need to turn to the Interpros because last Sunday was a very busy one for Munster because they took on Connacht at under 16, under 18 and under 21 Interpro level. And a very positive day began at under 16 level with a 2-0 win over Connacht. Yeah, super win for the for the Munster under 16s. And I think one that, that, that was richly deserved. Um, they they probably had a had a bit of, a bit of a lack of luck, I suppose, in in the first two games. Um, so this was definitely um, definitely a better performance from them, and and as a result, uh, they they won the game two nil. Uh, Gina Maxwini and, and Casey Toomey with the with the goals for for Munster and a richly deserved uh, victory um, for for the squad. Good stuff for the under 16s there as well. Yeah, um, in, a, in a pretty difficult age group and a lot of talent at that particular age group. So, 2 0 win. Well done to them on that. At under 18 level, there was even better news with a 5 1 win um, and a third win out of three for the Munster under 18s. Yeah, it's great. And it, it puts them top of the group and, and in control, I suppose, of their own destiny now. Um, so, uh, the, the under 18s, as, as you said, has a very strong win 5 uh, 1 over Connacht. Um, Sarah Fitzgerald, Rachel O'Shea, Ingrid Cusson, Susie Nolan, and, and Hannah O'Byrne with, with the goals on, on the day. Um, it puts Yvonne O'Byrne's um, side, I suppose, in, in that in that position where they can they can go into the last game knowing knowing you know a, a draw will probably be enough to get them into the finals weekend. Excellent stuff. Let's hope that they make that. And finally, for the under twenty ones, disappointment despite a really good performance and drawing two two at Connacht, but losing out on the shootout, uh, Graham. Yeah, so the, the under twenty ones have probably had a tough run of it um, uh, so far this year. Um, they drew to all uh, Lauren Cripps and then most all of them with the goals. Um, Connacht would be strong enough at this age group, so they knew they were going to be up against it. Um, that it went to a shootout, uh, it went to sudden death in the shootout, and unfortunately they lost three two. Um, always a bit of a lottery in the in the shootouts. Um, so unfortunately, Munster just came out the wrong side of it this time. Yeah, disappointment, but again, an encouraging performance. And and from those three performances, once the uh, Munster interprovincials at sixteen, eighteen, and twenty one are completed, what happens after that, Graham? Um, so I suppose the the the, the interpros are used, I suppose, as a selection process for for Irish teams and Irish panels. So the, I suppose the primary focus there is to, to to for players is to try and get selected on those under sixteen, under eighteen, and under twenty one Irish teams. 
Um, also, it's it's it, once the program's complete, um, early early next year, I suppose. You know, it, 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 there's no resting. I suppose we're, we're straight into looking for for next year's under sixteen, under eighteen, and under twenty one uh, squads. So it's uh, it's a constant cycle, and it's a, it, there's an awful lot of work going on behind the scenes between the coaches and the management and and the branches involvement. So. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a never ending um uh, I suppose battle to keep things going um but it's you know it's great to see the results when you when you see um some of the some of the girls pull on uh, green jerseys you know, ultimately it certainly is and Munster has done its has had its fair share of internationals over the last couple of years so again not not dwelling too long on the results at inter provincial level but the performances and the players that will come out of that at under sixteen under eighteen or twenty one level this past weekend great results and performances for Munster against Connacht and we hope for better uh, in the new year as you said. Now on to the National Cups because in the Irish Senior Cup there was three Munster sides involved. Only one got through but it was Catholic Institute and deservedly so, Graham. Yeah, Catholic Institute are really um really impressive again this year. Um I suppose after their their victory in the in the in the, the senior cup last year. Um they, they're actually meeting uh, they they met um last year's finalists as well as Pembroke. Um, and they beat them 2-1 um, on, on Saturday. Again, a, a very strong performance and a very very accomplished side, I suppose. Um, they're riding high as well. They're, they're top of EY1 as well at the moment. So great to see them doing so well. Um, and I, I, I've no doubt they'll be, they'll be in the mix for all competitions come the end of the season. Yeah, and Catholic Institute are in with some heavy hitters in that women's EY1 league, uh, Graham, because they've won five or seven games. They've only lost once this year. They're four points clear of the likes of Loretto and Noel Alex and UCD. So that, like this on this performance and result against Pembroke on top of it in the Senior Cup and going well in the Senior Cup bodes well for the rest of their season. Yeah, absolutely. And a, a lot of the Leinster sides this year seem to be seem to be very, very strong. Um, I think there's only one team from from Ulster left in the the Irish Senior Cup, and one one team from from Munster, with the remaining six being all, all from Leinster. Um, so uh, some of the the clubs you've mentioned there, they're all Dublin clubs. Um, you know they're they're going to push um, Catholic Institute all the way this year in the league again, no doubt. Um, but um, hopefully um, Institute will be able to keep the pace, and, and you know it's it's always a struggle when you're maybe a club that has to travel more than other mm-hmm. clubs. Um, that that's always part of it as well. But um, they seem to cope with it really well last year, so hopefully they can do it again this year. Indeed, uh, two other monster clubs unfortunately fell by the wayside in the Irish Senior Cup. Avoca edging Church of Ireland one nil, and all Alex proving too strong for Harlequins. But um, th- again, two clubs there uh, from Munster Graham that would be hoping for better fare next year or next time out. Yeah, and Harlequins are, I suppose, just after taking the step down from from EY one and old Alex are going well in EY one, so probably no great surprise in, in, in that result. Um, Harlequins are quite a young side there, and will don't no doubt be learning from from games like that. Um, C of I, uh, on the other hand, I suppose may have may 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 maybe could have felt they could have maybe pushed Avoca a small bit more. Avoca seem to have actually strengthened this year and are actually going very well in the Leinster League. Um, so uh, not that I know too much about them, but but certainly I think CI would have gone up there, maybe hoping to to get something out of that. Indeed, disappointment for both of them. But well done to the Catholic Institute, as we said. They're through in the Irish Senior Cup following that two 0 win over, or two one win. Apologies over Pembroke Wanderers into the Irish Hockey Trophy, and there was two Munster clubs involved in action last weekend. Disappointment for Ashton, but success for Bandon, Graham. Yeah, Bandon are Bandon are a great cup team. They they seem to always uh, pull it out of the bag in the the Irish Hockey Trophy. Haven't haven't won this competition previously. 
Um, they definitely have a lot of firepower in, in the likes of Olivia Roycroft, um, Ingrid Burns and, and, and Katie Desmond in particular. Um, all seem to be hitting form now um, a, a couple of weeks into the season. So um, we'll be interested to see how far they can go in this competition. Um, is, is, there's always a few challenging uh, journeys in this competition up the north of the country in general. So um, there's probably one or two tricky tricky ones ahead, but a super 3-2 win over Coleraine um, at the weekend on, on home turf. Um, Ashton, on the other hand, I suppose, were, were again on, on home turf, but uh, came up short against Mosley. Um, probably dominated the, 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 the game in, in general, but uh, just couldn't find a breakthrough on the day. And uh, Mosley ended up taking the taking the victory two one on a, on a shootout. Yeah, desperately unlucky for Ashton, but gr- congratulations to Bandon overcoming Coleraine three two and moving on in that Irish Hockey Trophy. And hopefully, um, they can fly the flag for Munster for another few rounds yet. Uh, a quick check on women's Munster Division One, Graham, and I know you have a particular interest in this. But UCC top of the table, four wins out of four and twelve points, alongside Cork Harlequins who've played a game extra, and not too far behind them we've got uh, Ashton and Church of Ireland. Um, this looks like a really competitive league this year in the women's, women's Munster Division One, and again an opportunity for the winners I assume to pro, uh, to progress onto the women's EY2 Correct yeah and and I, and I suppose it, it definitely seems like it's going to be the closest season in a long time at the moment um, so UCC picked up a win 4-1 against Belvedere last Friday night um, so that puts some level on points for Harlequins with a, with a game in hand as you said uh, but Harlequins UCC Ashton um, Church of Ireland and, and, and Bandon as well they're all quite closely uh, matched so you know they, they'll all be taking points off each other throughout the, the course of the season. So, so you know we really really do have an interesting season ahead. Um, this Saturday we have uh, Church of Ireland facing off against uh, Bandon, um, which will be a very very interesting match again uh, with two of the top sides meeting. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who goes, comes out in top then. And there's a couple of big games as well just before Christmas as well with some of the top teams meeting. So yeah, it's going to be very very interesting, and I I, I imagine it's going to go right to the wire. Uh, you couldn't sell it any better as a PRO and as somebody that's heavily involved in Munster uh, hockey, Graham. And you don't need to because even just looking at the results there, as you said, and how tight it is between the top five clubs in women's Munster Division 1. A lot of twists and turns to come over the coming weeks and we'll keep an eye on it here on the Big Red Bench. But for now, to the Munster Women's Hockey PRO, Graham Catchball, thank you very much for joining us here on Corkstrad FM's Big Red Bench. Thanks, Merlinger. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM resident Formula 1 expert Sarah Mackenzie Foley is back on the Big Red Bench for her weekly Formula 1 slot to discuss what should be an intriguing Brazilian Grand Prix this weekend. Can anyone stop world champion Max Verstappen? News of Red Bull and Mercedes headlining a showrun in Vegas ahead of the 2023 Grand Prix in the American City. The future of Formula 1 on TV and online. Plus, who will get the last remaining F1 seat at Haas for 2023? Now, on the Big Red Bench, it's our weekly Formula 1 segment with our resident expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, to give her her full working married title now that she's joined the married ranks. So, Sarah, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I like having me as always. Excellent stuff. Now, we're looking ahead to uh, what is one of my uh, favourite Grand Prix, one of yours too, I know. Just the history uh, around the Brazilian circuit, just everything associated with it. One of my heroes, Ayrton Senna, obviously. Um, but a lot, a, a lot of really good Formula One races, exciting races, and obviously the crazy fans like we had in Mexico, as we outlined in last week's podcast. But looking ahead to the Brazilian uh, GP, Sarah, um, you are, you've mentioned uh, pre-recording that Ferraris are expecting to be a little bit closer to Mercedes 
uh, both of them, have, uh, this is their shot basically to catch the Red Bulls before the season ends. So for sponsors and for the drivers as well, they're going to want to lay down a marker for, for 2023. So you're expecting a much tighter race. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think maybe not tighter to Red Bull as such, but I think we can probably expect to see a bit more between the Mercs and Ferrari. Um, Mercedes chief strategist James Wolves essentially came out during the week and said, we're not going to be as competitive in Brazil as we were in Mexico. The track layout and the downforce level basically just doesn't suit the car as we know it's very temperamental this year in particular. So I think the expectation for them is that they'll be competing more with the Ferraris than the Red Bulls, which, you know, hopefully we don't, that doesn't mean the Red Bulls kind of just take off. But I think that's probably where at the top of the the grid, we're going to see the most kind of interaction and, and hopefully some good scraps. As you said, over the years, we've had fantastic Grand Prix in, in Brazil and it's actually the 50th Grand Prix this year. So they uh, they have a lot to be celebrating. Yes, I didn't realise that until you mentioned it. It's 50 years of the Brazilian GP. And at a time, you've spoken uh, extensively uh, on the Big Red Bench this year about, you know, how future Grand Prix are going to be decided, whether countries are going to keep them or not. You know, traditional countries that you would have just taken for granted, certainly in Europe, the money seems to be in the Far East now. The money seems to be, you know, in Mm. China and more and more in America with the whole Netflix uh, drive to survive. I mean, you know, I just can't imagine uh, a Formula One calendar without Brazil, but it needs to bring in the big the big books in terms of, you know, what the Formula One uh, hierarchy want from it. But in terms of tradition, in terms of just, just the way it's laid out, it's so winding. That, that unbelievable final stretch, you know, you come around and you see just the crowd in on top of you for a driver, it must Mm -hmm. be amazing. But 50 years of it doesn't guarantee that it will, it will be there in the future, Sarah. No, absolutely. I mean, we just saw with Monaco, even this year, you know, they were renewed eventually, but on a short term kind of basis. So I think, we are in one of those periods where everything is being questioned. You know, there's more and more, there's going to be more Grand Prix than ever next year. Um, and that's kind of divided opinion, even between the teams. Toto Wolf, for example, has said that he just physically cannot be at that many races in the space of one year. So I think we're potentially entering an interesting phase. Um, you know, I've been thinking lately about do teams need to use their reserve drivers more? You know, you can only expect a Formula One driver to really push themselves so far I think so I think it's an interesting couple of years coming up we've heard rumours about 30 races a year by 2030 that to me sounds awful great news for the podcast but not for the drivers sorry I love Formula 1 but I just don't think I think realistically you would need three drivers in a team and then you're looking at a whole other um, Mm. you know how do you stay sustainable then in that kind of environment so very interesting couple of years I think coming up but as you said hopefully we don't lose Brazil in this stage a lot of what drives from a football perspective in Premier League in England and in Europe is money the Major League Soccer in America would not be anywhere near the radar of top leagues around the world but Apple are investing two billion in it and every match you can see on your Apple TV and Apple device as of from next year so unfortunately with Formula 1 uh, it will follow the dollar signs or the yen or whatever it is when it comes mm-hmm. to that. But 30 races is just too much physically and, and mentally on drivers. But I don't think the, the, the F1 hierarchy care. I think they're just looking at the bottom line. They have a product, a commodity that we've already seen. I mean, I, I hate going back to it, like, but where was it with the Grand Prix where there was bombshells landing like a couple of miles away? Mm-hmm. In Jeddah. So, I mean, you when you hear and you see that and you actually say the words, 
a bomb went off a couple of miles away from where the Formula One race was going on. You know, if you're a driver and you're somebody working in the pit crew, you're going like, I, know, I love my job, but do I really want to work for a group of people who don't care? You know, they just yeah. the race is going ahead. And if that's the mentality when there's bombs dropping within the region of it, trust me, they will go where the, where they'll make more money or where they can do it. And the, the worry I have with Formula One and I presume you share it, is the saturation levels I'm seeing at football now. And I love football, but I don't love it seven nights a week. I don't love Champions League on top of Europa League on top of Premier League on top of European football. It's too much. For a kid, it's great because you don't don't care. But as a person who loves the, the sport and who loves Formula One, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. 100% 100% and I think it it would genuinely change the fundamental infrastructure of the sport it would just it would have to the teams could not sustain they just can't scale to that level at the current infrastructure I mean even already this winter the teams are talking about introducing a winter shutdown so that the actual staff in the teams can take a break you know this is people forget that the work doesn't just happen on track when there's races like these cars are being developed, you know, sometimes halfway into the prior season, um, you know, depending on how well or how badly it's going. So I think I, I totally agree. I think we are we're heading in an, a potentially dangerous mm. direction. And I, I unfortunately don't have huge faith kind of in either the governance or the ownership of Formula One to sort of, as you said, not just see the bags of money and just mm. follow it. I think... I, I don't know who would be the right person to step in there or if there if it is a person or, or persons, but I think definitely a bit of common sense will, will have to come in at some point. Um and you would hope that the drivers themselves would have enough voice to influence that even somewhat, because as you said, it's not feasible for them to physically to physically or mentally do that. No, it isn't. It was a good point you made about the reserve drivers, actually, you know, that if they do go at the extra races, there may have to be some sort of contingency plan where you have to mm. run your, 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 your third driver for a certain amount of races. How oh, all that will work? Jeez, I don't know. That's another day's work. But I think we'll be talking during the winter somehow, uh, Sarah, about the subject. And speaking of the future, looking ahead to 2023, Las Vegas, Nevada will be on uh, on the Formula One roster, which is, you know, uh, they've got a brand new franchise in American football. It's going particularly well. They're trying to branch out to all sports in Las Vegas. So it's not just a gambling, you know, mecca that people just go and spend a lot of money there. They are certainly n- not just with Formula One, but they're doing with other sports as well. But from your point of view, uh, we had uh, Red Bull and Mercedes were in Las Vegas recently to, uh, to to drum up some support and some interest. Yeah, it was interesting. So they sent uh, Lewis, George, Sergio and then Alex Albon out there to to do a few kind of show runs on the Vegas Strip. They actually had the cars go through casinos uh, as well, which was which was probably, um, I think, you know, is somewhat educational for people, you know, especially in the US, like that's where the majority of the newer fans are coming from mm. due to Drive to Survive. And I think most of them will never have been up close and personal with an F1 car. Mm. And it is it's it's not what you would expect for anyone that has seen one in real life. So I think there is a bit of an education element to this, not just entertainment value, but it was interesting to see during the week, it did kind of divide people again, like how much of this is just becoming a show and how much of it really is sport at this point. Um, you know, there's other sports that kind of that take that flack as well. You mentioned American football, you know, the Super Bowl is arguably less about the teams and more about the halftime and the advertising and everything. So Again, this is just something that I think I hope someone in there is keeping an eye on it, but I really am not sure that they are in any kind of meaningful way from what I can see. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think you know you get a sign of dollar signs and what might be there, and you see you mentioned in the Super Bowl and what that generates away from the actual game itself for anywhere that the, the Super Bowl is taken, it's just huge. And the advertising revenue, and I think the TV revenue certainly, and the online revenue—that's the key one now in the future mm-hmm. for Formula One. You know that you buy at the moment, you got to buy a, a Sky Sports subscription if you live in Europe, and then you get you, you get a, you do get access to everything, despite what Red Bull hate about uh, Formula One <laughs> coverage in Sky, like. I, I remember like you growing up, you know, you had a couple of hours on a Sunday and that was it. You know, you had the commentators mm-hmm. talking about what happened on Friday and Saturday. You had the newspapers, uh, which maybe isn't a bad thing. No, it's 24-7. I mean, it's 24-7 on Sky Sports F1 and across the world, it's probably the same in, you know, in different parts of the world. And I do think we're heading, again, if I use the football analogy, Manchester United have their own TV station. They have their own subscription mm-hmm. service. You will see that with Mercedes. You will see that with Ferrari. And if the money's good enough, you'll have Formula One will do what the NFL did in America and they will create their own network. They will create their own 24-7 package. They will look for the rights of their own TV and online coverage. And that's where it gets very interesting. That's when when they control everything, like you were mentioning, if the right people aren't in charge there, God, no, we could have 24, we could have 12 months of Formula One. Very, very easy in terms of races. And I, I just, with the American model and what's happening everything's moving online in terms of money and in terms of the methodology and the model that they use to make money. I just can't see Formula One and the people behind Formula One that are currently there are old school with the greatest respect. They've been there quite a long time. Bernie Eccleston was there how long before he finally, you know, mm-hmm. they find his influence is finally gone. And I think the people that replaced him will probably want to get their dollars worth if, if they're asked to move aside. Very interesting times ahead. And in terms of how Formula One presents itself, it started with Netflix, but I think you'll eventually see the Formula One channel. I think you'll see the Formula One entity um, and they will control then what happens and when it happens, whether we like it or not. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I don't enjoy that, you know, Hmm. You see less and less TV channels having rights to to the races and, you know, maybe only showing highlights or it's in the middle of the night or whatever. And it's kind of, it is, it does come back to the money. It's what subscription are you paying for? Um, I'm sure if everyone was to turn on their TV or open their phone, like they've got how many different subscription services that we're all paying I won't for comment on, I won't comment on that because people yeah. I know might be listening, but yeah, I get your point. <laughs> and it, you know, it does, it, it kind of becomes scary. It's like, who's, mm. who's actually calling the shots here. And um, I personally would not like to see a 12 month calendar of Formula One. I enjoy, mm. I enjoy the build up to a coming back. I enjoy the fact that it, that it ends on like a, a pinnacle, I think. Uh, most years at least um, and yeah it just it doesn't it's not something that excites me um, but I don't know how much they're listening to to the fans at, at that level they'll listen if you open the wallet and uh, they'll certainly <laughs> listen from that point one final thing before we let you go for this week um, something we have spoken about and you've been you've been you know you've had a lot of insight into this and it's unusual but it's a it's a it's a team further down the grid and that's Haas and for 2023 that that re- there is a remaining seat to be decided yet uh, Sarah yeah, so Mick Schumacher's seat at Haas is now the only remaining seat not to be confirmed for next year. And they really are kind of letting it go down to the wire. Uh, we spoke recently about kind of his task from the team was, hey, we want you to score points and also not crash uh, in the remaining races of the season. He's kind of kept up one part of that deal. The car has mostly remained intact, but he has not scored any points in the last three races. So I think Brazil is maybe a last gasp attempt for him. Um, Possibly his saving grace is that the replacement for him that they're looking at, Antonio Giovinazzi, did crash uh, at at Cota in his practice opportunity. So I think, you know, 
it depends on what they're assessing the two of them on there. But, you know, when you look at his teammate, Kevin Magnuson did mount to score mm. points. He got a, a P9 finish in, in the US and I, it looks it looks pretty kind of wobbly, I think, still for Mick Schumacher. Personally, I hope he stays in. Uh, Joe Nazi, you know, didn't like the world on fire when he was in Formula 1. So I think Schumacher should get one more year. But we shall see what happens. We shall indeed. And I, I'd imagine even in the off-season, there'll still be plenty of drama once those seats are decided because we're going into winter testing and then you get the first sights of the new cars in the new year and the designs and what that means. A lot to happen over the next few weeks. But before that, we do have the Brazilian GP coming up and heading into that, as everybody already knows. If you don't, Max Verstappen is the world champion. He's retained his title in the Red Bull. Sergio Perez remains second in the standings. Charles Leclerc for the Ferrari. Uh, only five points behind, so there's still a runners-up spot in that driver standings up for grabs. And uh, George Russell and Lewis Hamilton two of the most consistent drivers in the Mercedes fourth and fifth in the constructors Red Bull obviously way out in front with their 16 wins and uh, 26 podiums that's 696 points Ferrari holding off Mercedes by 40 points heading into the final couple of GP so a lot to, uh, to fight for there and Alpine and McLaren will McLaren pass out Alpine and the understandings of constructors do not underestimate how important that is to a franchise like uh, mm. Mercedes either I mean you would agree with me on that yeah, that they'd want to be finishing ahead of Alpine now 100% it means a lot in terms of investment it also makes a difference in terms of the wind tunnel time that you're allowed it's um, it's really huge now these days Indeed it is uh, so we'll have a full review in a couple of weeks time of the Brazilian GP and a whole lot more from Sarah McKenzie Foley our resident Formula 1 big red bench uh, Formula 1 expert but where can we find you in the interim Sarah? Yeah, so on YouTube, I'm Sarah McKenzie F1. You can also find me on Instagram at MacGram underscore. And then I'm on Twitter at MacTweets underscore as well. Excellent stuff. We'll talk to you again soon, Sarah. Thanks for your time. Thanks, sir. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Echo Newspaper and Echolive.ie columnist Mary Newman joins me on the Big Red Bench to review this year's SE Systems Cork Camogie Intermediate Championship. We talk about a cracking drawn and replayed intermediate county final between Ahabullock and Black Rock, ask how Ahabullock will fare at senior level in 2023, and much more. Joined on the line now by Echo Live.ie and Echo columnist Mary Newman to review what has been a fantastic intermediate Camogie Club Championship season in Cork, which was won following a replay and an equally exciting replay after their drawn match by Ahabullock over Black Rock. Ahabullock winning 217 to 313 after extra time. Mary Newman, uh, you were there, you were lucky enough to witness uh, much of this year's intermediate championship, but let's talk about the champions. I mean, a fantastic scenes at the final whistle and finally, finally getting over the line. A huge day for Ahabullock. Yeah, indeed, I suppose third, third time trying, they were beaten in two finals and, um, you know, I suppose it was probably thrilling for them and heartbreaking for Blackrock. They went to a replay and, as you say, extra time and the conditions, you know, first half with great, lovely sunshine, beautiful, and then the weather changed and by half time we were absolutely drenched in the skin. The deluge rain was pouring down and they kept going, kept at it and at full time um, at first of all I suppose just to recap at half time the Rockies led by a point 17 to 16 and then three minutes um, with three minutes to go in regular time in the second half Ella Foley pointed a free to um, give Abolog, bring Abolog back onto level and both sides had chances I suppose to win it but they didn't and we had to go to extra time and in that extra time Black Croc went ahead again and then Abolog 
um, our blood levelled and then with a few minutes, about three minutes to go to the first break in extra time and a Farrell got the goal which looked as if it would maybe edge it for Blackrock but um, credit Abolog they fought back they got two points Emma Flanagan and Keane Healy pointing this again um, and then really the last 10 minutes um, they they kind of took over Kieran McCarthy and Healy got two points Caitlin Hickey again drove on for Blackrock with a point and then they hit the post when they were level. They hit the post for what looked as if it was going over for the winner. And down the field came Abolog and Cleany Healy pointed. And again, Blackrock attacked, but they just couldn't, you know, just that extra little push. They just couldn't find it, you know, but it was a thrilling game. A great, 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 great game really yeah and it was a fantastic advert for this particular grade Mary which you've covered extensively for the Echo this year and as you mentioned look it's heartbreak for Blackrock they've been knocking on the door for a long time but a lot of these players have been exposed to senior so they know uh, playing representing uh, you know at, at the senior grade what it's like there as well this team will start next season and it's not just to say it to them now because they lost but they will start Blackrock next year as one of the favourites for this title yeah well I suppose they will but I know they have a few players going away Um they're heading off travelling. Will they be back? I suppose, who knows? Like they all go off, I suppose, with the intention of it being a year. Like we've seen some people go for a year and never come back. Mm-hmm. And we've seen others went for a year and they were back after a few weeks. So I suppose it all depends who they will have available to them next year, really, you know. But I suppose they'll be there or thereabouts again, I suppose, um, next year. But who knows? You know, it's always, as I say, it took about like three years to win it. Mm-hmm. Finally got over the line, so... You know, exactly. Yeah, we, be a new ball game. It know? will. We won't know. Um, let's. I know Aha Bullock required a full panel effort this year, and that's not a cliche to actually finally get over the line. But talk to me about the Echo Player of the Match, Cleena Healy, and why she was so important to their win. Yeah, well, I suppose on the day she was absolutely superb. She had one twelve uh, for sides total, and. You know, she she was busy. She was working hard, driving the man, and I suppose the fact. Being able to get the scores, that's what counts, scores on the board count. But, um, yeah, she was excellent. She she really was, you know. She like she was dropping back, defending, coming forward, attacking, and she was all over the place, really. And I suppose she was instrumental more than anyone else. You know, they had some other fantastic players, and I suppose we can only pick one. Mm. And um, with, like, 112 in a county final, on the horrific day that it was, you know, singled her out probably as the the, the main player for them. And right, know? and rightly so. Um, just yeah. just from what you've seen of Aha Bullock, not just this year and finally winning the county, but over the last couple of years, how well equipped are they? And again, we don't know who's available and unavailable next year. Now, as you said, a lot of people go on travelling, but how are they set up to be competitive at what is a very very tough and competitive senior grade? Well, they'll be well able for it. They have very young players. They're good. They're fast. They're lively. And they're confident. And I think they'll be well able for it up there, you know. I mean, we've seen the um, some of the clubs that have went up that have slotted in perfectly and, you know, did well. And I think they will. It, as you say, it's a competitive championship. It's hard. There probably is a gap in standards along the way, a small bit between some of the teams. How that can be remedied, I don't know. But... Um, I think they'd be well able for us, really. I don't think they'll have any fears going up at all. Yeah. Um, the fact that this year's replay final was played at Ovens, look, Castle Road has, has been hit like every pitch in the country with the bad weather, but 
let's give some credit here. The county board, they got the games played. Um, it took a lot of toing and froing, and it wasn't easy throughout the season, Mary, as you highlighted. But the fact with all the bad weather that these finals, along with the Sars and the Shandoon one, were completed on time, I mean, that's a real positive. Um, you know, you can't control the weather, obviously, and it's a very difficult thing to do to schedule all these games and all the underage finals as well that, that need to be played. But it was fantastic to see them get played. Yes, it was, and we have to give huge credit to the county board, and I suppose they get knocked off, and everybody, anybody who's a boss gets knocked. But um, yeah, it was huge credit to them, and indeed to all the clubs who kind of helped out as well, because there was an awful lot of clubs like Airog and many, many other clubs helped to get these finals over the line, and um, even the junior A and B were at the weekend there, where we saw um, I had a defeat y'all down in uh, Pilmore. And we saw Ballon Hassig win the Junior A outside on the 4G in Bishopstown. So again, all the clubs that helped out, and I know clubs like Cladove were hugely helpful to the board, and there's lots of others now, I'm probably not I'm forgetting half of them. But yeah, and Castle Road did get a hammering, and I think that's because of the round-robin games. Like, we would have had more games in the all the championships played in Castle Road, and I think it got a fair old hammering, so maybe it is time now that it got a bit of a rest, and but the Camogie board are so lucky to have us. You know, if they hadn't, it's like we'd be, they'd be in great trouble. Like, where would you get pitches? Exactly. So where it, where would, yeah, they're very lucky to have that facility. Just finally, um, I know it's kind of a general question, but you saw a lot of the Intermediate Championship this year. Your view on it as somebody that has written extensively about it for so long in terms of the quality of this year's championship um, compared to other seasons. I have Bullock deserving champions just about getting over the line to head over Black Rock after the replay. But overall, Mary, what, what did you make of this year's Intermediate Championship? Uh, yeah, it was, a fun, it was a good championship. I mean, we had, as we say, we had round, it was a round robin. It was different. Um, but it was very competitive and I think all the teams in it, there was nothing between any of them. And as you were saying there about Black Rock for next year, as I said, who knows, some team will pop up and some some crowds might have um, two or three very good 16-year-olds come onto their panels next year and make all the difference. And as you say, clubs will have people travelling and people giving up and people getting fed up and not playing and we all know what goes on. Like, But yeah, it was a very, very, very competitive championship and I think, you know, it, it, the standard was very high and that's only can augur well and I think Ballon Hassig will be up there next year and I think they'd be well able for us as well. They have several players back, former senior players back playing junior this year and they defeated Ballon who lost out again in the junior final. Heartbreak for them again, losing out last year and again this year. Um, but like Ballon Hassig, a very experienced side and if they can keep players Saying that they got back this year, they'll be good as well in the intermediate grade. So they'd be another force to be reckoned with there. You know, the several players within the county experience were back playing with them. And um, they were very impressive the other night in the junior A final. Excellent stuff. So plenty to look forward to in next year's championships. As we said, uh, great to see how Bullock uh, victory, get that victory and move up to senior. And a lot to look yes, forward indeed. to across the grades as ever, Mary Newman. Thanks very much for joining us here on the Big Red Bench. No bother, Jaren. As I say, congratulations to all those teams because, in fairness, um, you know they they earned their they earned their titles. They certainly did. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks Red FM. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan returns to the Big Red Bench to discuss another hectic spell of women's rugby, including the Munster Girls Schools Initiative that goes from strength to strength, latest Munster Senior, Junior and Girls Underage results, and finally, news of two Munster Women's Club's youngest members who will take the field at Thursday night's Munster and South Africa clash at Parky Cueve.
Now on the Big Red Bench, it's that time of the week again where we get a roundup of all the latest news and uh, results from the wide world of Munster Women's Rugby and no better person to have on and tell us all about it than the chairperson of Munster Women's Rugby. That's Wendy Keenan. Wendy, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? I'm great, Jaron. Delighted to be back on. Thanks a million. Good stuff. A lot to get through. Uh, and it's good to see even at this time of the year, so much is happening in Munster Women's Rugby. But let's start uh, with schools, something I know students are love, love to talk about. But this is a more positive uh, rugby element to it. What is the latest on the Munster Schools Initiative? I suppose we, we've just seen how successful our, our seven-a-side blitzes have been over the past couple of weeks. So now we're post-midterm, we're moving to 11-a-side blitzes and they're going to take place in Ballincollig, LIT in Limerick and Tralee in Kerry. And to date, we have 29 schools registered to participate in um, in those three days. So look, it's great. I know the weather at the moment isn't um, fantastic and hopefully it won't play havoc with our fixtures. But look for us to see 30 schools participating in these blitz days you know on back on the back of the seven aside ones is brilliant as we move towards I suppose cup season after Christmas and that'll be followed up then by a finals day in Rockwell and if I just take one of them just taking the Cork blitz um, to take an example to show where the representation is coming from we have schools coming from Bandon Bantry Beara Clonakilty Cashel Dungarvan and Mallow um, two different schools in Mallow um, so that's just to give a taste of you know that's not mentioning all the schools going to, to, to Limerick or to Tralee as well but um, yeah so that should you know be fruitful for us in terms of numbers growing within the clubs as they're getting a taste within the schools and we're moving towards then our deadline for entry into our schools cup competition which is the 1st of December so um, look we're really hoping for a really healthy entry uh, for those, for that competition for this season um, It's been a big boost for most women's rugby to put it mildly when even at the success of last year and reaching the finals and the excitement amongst all the schools but does the fact that you've got a pathway you're initiating a pathway from seven aside to 11 aside and then a little bit onto 15. How important is that for a young girl's progress within sport? Look, it's really important. I know we've got our seven aside, you know, national team and we've our interpros it, you know what I mean, the different age grades and, and the senior side. But I suppose it's a 15 aside game that we're really concerned about and we have to grow the numbers. Uh, and by starting with seven aside, it gives the schools a chance to do that. Um, so we'll progress from the 11 aside then into the 15 aside. Um, lots of friendlies being played and we had a 15 aside um friendly there in Limerick um, two weeks ago so um, there'll be lots more of those in the coming weeks um, that I hope to report on that you know that those fixtures are booked in but you're very you know it's correct there must be a pathway at all avenues for girls and um, both in schools and with the clubs and what we're seeing what's been very very successful is when the school is marrying up with the club and the club is marrying up with the mm. schools in terms of the growth of the numbers so um, some of the clubs are really seeing you know I suppose the dividends of the work that they're doing within the local schools with with that regard and long may that continue these are uh, grassroots levels as we're talking about but it's for the future of the future um, of uh, women's rugby definitely the, it, it's it's a no-brainer for me anyway if a school is getting involved with a local club they can help I each other sorry, the only hiccup with us is that we, we, we don't have the development officers on the ground to get around to all the schools which you know hopefully more funding will come from the IRFU in the future when they see the growth of these numbers um, as I always say you know we're challenged in Munster with the you know 
the spread of the province. So mm. uh, a lot of travelling times, we have only two full-time development officers covering the whole province. Yeah, and you need more, clearly. So hopefully people will listen to this podcast as ever and listen to your uh, sage advice, Wendy, and take it, uh, as you said, like two for the whole of Munster. It's not enough. And uh, the growing interest in the sport, the growing numbers in the sport, more officers are needed. So hopefully down the line, sooner rather than later, that can be uh, addressed. Let's move on because it was a busy weekend as well in the adult leagues and across the conferences in Munster Women's Rugby. Yeah, so, so like lots happening in the conferences. So we had three conferences, all the matches being played. So I'm just going to give you some of the results there. Um, so Shannon came on top of, of Kerry, a close match there, 17-12. UL Bowes, second team defeated Skibbereen. Um, five was probably a little bit of a shock result there for a local result for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, were got the better of Ballancolic with a big score, 52-7. A lot of experience there in that Thurless team. And Ennis Kilrush had a great win over um, Waterpark. Remember, that's their first time fielding at adult level, 48-10. But I do want to mention that there were four debutants started this weekend for Waterpark, their first home game. So great to see they're growing their numbers there and see those newcomers getting their game. Uh, close match between Dolphin and Bantry. Dolphin coming out on top, 17-7. And Mallow with win over Middleton, two new teams as well, 19 um Nil um, to Mallow there in that final result. So lots of close games, two big results, but look, they're all playing their matches and all the girls are playing, um, which is brilliant to see. And I just want to mention that like they're battling it out now really over the next couple of weeks because the top two teams will be nominated to go forward for the Irish Junior Cup, a new competition this this season. So we've, I suppose we've been looking for it for a while from the IRFU. So each of the provinces will have two teams going forward to play in this Junior Cup competition. So it also, I suppose, gives a taster to those top two teams and where are they nationally in terms of their standard and what would that mean then for them if they were to have an entry into the women's AIL. So um, we're really looking forward to seeing how our Munster teams will fare in relation to that. Excellent stuff. And um, UL Bowes and, and their current position uh, as well as Ballon Colleague in the AIL. How, 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 yeah, what's your UL assessment Bowes of that? Had, yeah, UL Bowes had a big week, win at the weekend. So they lie in sixth and eighth. Um, UL Bowes in sixth, Ballon Colleague in eighth. Um, look, I, they'll both be disappointed. There's no point to me saying otherwise um, with where they lie in relation to that to those positions. So hopefully they'll pick up points in the remaining um fixtures, you know, I mean that league is now going to be finished before Christmas, um, meeting this week in relation with the IRFU in relation to the new structure for after Christmas. So I'll know more the next time I talk to you in relation to what will happen with the cup fixtures and the Celtic League, etc. Excellent stuff. So lots, lots, lots coming down the line and good news for both UL Bowes and Ballincollig, as we said, embryonic stages for both of those at the women's AIL stage. Now, as ever, underage is always busy, despite the bad weather. Um, and from the under-16s point of view, there's a lot of action, uh, or some action has been uh, managed to get get over the poor weather conditions. Yeah, and get so this past weekend was our under-16s, I suppose, weekend, giving a rest to the under-14s and under-18s, a catch-up week in case there was any matches um, that need to be played. But some of the results coming in now from um, for my girls under 16 Balna Killaloo a lot of experience there defeated Kilrush 47-17 Shannon got the better of UL Bowes 30-0 Carrigan Shore 44-14 uh, over Feathered and then the amalgamation of Ballancolic and Dolphin is proving very successful for them with a win over Middleton Newall 35-5 and a close match between Killarney and Canturk with Killar- with Canturk coming out on top 34-30 uh, they'll be absolutely delighted with that result because a lot of experience in that, that Killarney team um, from last year and then just one match that was played at under 14 and that was Gary Owen 30 Ennis um, nil 
So despite the weather, lots being played and a good few uh, mini blitzes also been played last weekend. So the minis were all in action as well. So you know me, I love those young girls to see them out playing. So um, great to see all the numbers coming in there as well. Excellent. Uh, again, because of the poor weather, to getting any kind of amount of games played at the moment is fantastic news. When they, I mean, uh, at this time of year, it used, used to be the cold and the freezing. It's now the rain and the soggy uh, pitch yeah, conditions. I mean, the, everybody sees that these past ten days have been exceptionally wet. Mm. Um, you know, unless you're playing an astroturf, you know, what I mean, it's, it's very tough conditions. So look, we're delighted to see that there's so much girls rugby being played, and just keeping on that theme then for for this evening with the Munster South Africa game and Parky Creve, a piece of history being made and I just want to wish Cole and Old Crescent Minis the very best of luck their mini girls are taken to the pitch at, at half time and that's a very special occasion for those girls because they're now going to be part of history Excellent and good luck to them and what excitement could you imagine that coming out on that pitch and, and hopefully in front of a huge crowd as well um, memories for life uh, as ever lots happening on the Munster women's rugby scene thank you for taking us through it Wendy and we will talk to you again soon Great Jared thanks a million Congratulations to Balavorny Club Neva Bond, who were crowned Munster LGFA Junior A champions following victory over Limerick champions Ula in Mallow last Saturday. Echo Live.ie and Echo Chief Sub-Editor Rory Noonan got Neva Bond manager Noel McDonough's immediate reaction shortly after the final whistle. And I caught up with Neva Bond captain Una Tuig to talk about her club's great win and we looked ahead to her club's All-Ireland LGFA semi-final appearance. Try and put that into words and all what that means. I couldn't... I couldn't actually explain what that means to this club and to all the girls here and the management team. It was an absolute outstanding performance from, from start to finish. And we knew that we were going to be difficult to break down. And they knew we were difficult to break down. And it was who was going to stick the pace of the game the longest and not crack. And we never cracked. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's the backbone of this team. That's what they've done all year long. They've, they've, since the start of the year, we've, we haven't conceded a lot. But today, you know, I think our backs were outstanding all through. But what it means to the club is just kids out in that team, they're only 16, 17 years of age. They have a lot of football to play. You know, we didn't think this would be the way this year would end, Munster Champions. And we'll go on and we'll be hard to beat, you know, but we'll enjoy this and we'll celebrate this well for next week. You mentioned our defence there in the first half against the Elements. They were simply outstanding. And to go in at halftime at four points, you must have been happy enough at that stage? I was, we were happy enough going at halftime, yeah, and we knew that... that when we came out, we were going to have to run the ball into the into our forwards or into our backs. And they tried to do that, but they couldn't break us down. And we knew if we could kick on and get two or three points, I knew coming into this game it was going to be a, a big scoring game, you know. We scored 2-10 the last day. They scored 4-15-16. That was never going to happen today. These are two good sides, good defences. And it was going to be on an under 10-point game today. We knew that coming in. And that's the way it turned out. And then in the end, there, when you needed them up front, Lydia and Grace certainly didn't let you know when you wanted them. No, they, they, look, they, they worked hard. And in fairness to Ula, they had their homework done in our forwards. They knew what they were like, and that if they left them loose, that they would do damage. They mapped them well, but, you know, we were able to get one or two or three points uh, that win that game. And look, that's the way it turned out. So it was fantastic. And this is you. All Ireland look forward to know, Noel. Oh, listen, we'll have a good week now. <laughs> listen, thanks, Ula. Thanks. 2022 Monster Junior Champions are Neva Vaughan from Balavorny. That sounds very, very nice to say and it sounds even better if you're the captain of that winning team and we're joined now on the line by the Nevavon captain Una Tua. Una congratulations on your Munster Championship success I think so much Jerry unreal yes it's a, I would imagine it's a very nice feeling waking up on a Monday morning uh, having you know come, come, overcome a really tough opponent in Ula from Limerick can you go into detail on the celebrations for us or is that off limits 
<laughs> and no, the celebrations were good. Look for that ball party winning as well. Um, great turnout in like uh, villages of Clamart and Balvorny and Cree and stuff. So, and um, just massive crowd and support. Actually, you know, even after the game, the support that we had was nothing we've ever experienced before at club level. So, um, great to see it and great to have it as well. It certainly is. It's 2003 when Neva Bond last won an All-Ireland title. That was intermediate level. But this now, from the junior side of things, you're up intermediate next year in Cork, which we'll talk about. But the fact that the club has won a county in Cork, has moved through a very difficult Munster campaign and now overcome a really strong opponent in Ula from County Limerick. It was 7-5 was the final score. Um, that must fill you with great pride, as you said, and the reaction that you're getting off the pitch, it looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic, but you'd hope you'd be looking to nurture that and use that uh, in the latter stages now of the All-Ireland Junior Championship. Oh, definitely. Like um, We knew coming into the game that Ula were going to be probably one of our toughest opponents. Yes, they, they're a very similar style of play that we do as well, so it's going to be a very defensive game. It's going to be very fast-paced, which it was. Um, but, like, it was. It doesn't sound overly exciting on the scoreboard, but um, I'm sure it was very exciting on the pitch. But um, it was just it was central to when it comes to our Ireland series of just being able to keep calm under pressure for the last ten minutes. You know, we all just uh, took to our own game plan. We knew we knew that when we went one point ahead and then we went two points ahead, that we were fine, like because we were strong enough defence and we're. Even a lot of young ones on the team that were able to break away fast as well from the defence. So um, it was just holding it out. And I couldn't be more than proud of the girls for just kind of stepping up another level to the mark again. What was the dressing room like immediately afterwards, Una? Unbelievable. Um, <laughs> words can't even put it, words can't describe how, um, how happy and excited everyone was. Like, we've um, just got a group of us together. It's a probably about four or five years now and a few young ones coming onto the team as well so it's just for the older ones on the team it's just such a joy to see and then for the younger ones coming on for them to experience something so early on their playing career is something they'll remember for the rest of their lives so it's fantastic Um, I don't think at the start of the year and I'm not being smart I don't think would you have <laughs> fancied yourselves as being Munster champions let alone Cork Junior A County champions the reason I ask Una as you know and I know from covering it it's such a difficult championship in Cork to win there's so many good teams and well there's there's a small number of pool of teams in that championship but they're very evenly matched I mean momentum clearly was building during the summer you know and finally getting over with Donovan Ross in the final which was a big moment for you but you've, we've spoken before about the momentum that was being built but to get to a Munster final and to win it requires serious dedication serious preparation but it, it feels to me from speaking to you uh, this year that you know the momentum was there and the belief was slowly growing Oh definitely like um, this car county is just extremely difficult to get out of and nearly out of the track record for the last cock team that actually won the county go on to win the Munster and Ireland so you've that kind of behind us as well that we knew yeah we um, coming out of the county that were you know we're up against stronger teams in Cork so it was sent us in the Munster as well but like as you said at the start of the year our main focus was just the county and everything that came after was just cherry on top but the fact now that we're Munster champions pushing on to an All-Ireland semi-final I don't think if you ask me back in January that that was my imagination come November following year that we'd still be playing 
Indeed. Uh, this is Jeremy McCarthy on the Big Red Bench speaking to the Munster Junior A uh, champion, the captain of the Munster Junior A champions, Neva Vaughan, Una Tuig here on the Big Red Bench. Una, one other thing about winning this Munster title, this provincial title this year, um, having won the county, you've played in just about every possible weather condition, I think, imaginable <laughs> since the start of the year. I remember the heat the day of the uh, county final in Cork against uh, O'Donovan Rossa. Talk to me about the conditions in Mallow last Sunday where you defeated Ula from Limerick to win the Munster Junior title. Um, conditions weren't overly bad. Um, obviously, Mallow there's always a strong wind um, going from the town side up, but um, the pitch was in very good condition considering the weather we've had for the last two weeks. But um, yeah, no, conditions were... Once the, once you got over the wind, everything else was kind of suitable playing playing um, environment, so it wasn't too bad. It suited your style, uh, Una, as you said, because you're very, very good defensively. I mean, holding a team like Ula from Limerick with their reputation, the fact they're going to be playing senior next year, to five points. I mean, your 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 defence where you play certainly came up trumps. Oh, it did, and like we've been, we've always been working on our defence, but from the county pushing into the Monster Series now it's you know, just a proper focus of trying to um, maximise the best outcomes you know, that everyone knows exactly what to do and that you know, no one panic no one dives in without um, thinking it through first so yeah it's like it's what we work on every time of training so it's you know, it's a bonus now that it's actually uh, it's actually coming off and people get to see how much work we do put into the trainings and stuff yeah, and you'll need that work rate and you'll need all that dedication all the way around again because uh, you will play in an All-Ireland Junior semi-final against the winners of an upcoming quarter-final between Belgium, yes, you heard that correct, Belgium, <laughs> and Blaney Fawes, who are the Ulster champions from County Monaghan. Now, I, know, I don't know, I doubt if you know very much about either of those two particular clubs, um, Una, but I would imagine the focus now, there's a bit of a break. That's the one thing. It's going to be towards the end of the month in November when the semi-final uh, probably goes ahead. Like, what's the plan between now and then? Because, you know, the the, uh, you know, the, the success and the fantastic feeling that you've got from winning a Cork County title and now a Munster title, you have to be careful because you've got a chance here to reach an All-Ireland final. So how do you maintain that focus and what do you do between now and when that All-Ireland semi-final is played to make sure you don't lose that focus? Um, like as you said, no, we've a nice break. So I think the main focus is just to get the bodies right again this week. Like we'll have college games are slowly back playing now again, so we've got involved with that along with our minor team and stuff. So it's just kind of to get the happy medium balance of recovery and just keep tipping over. Like we've all the work done, so it's just of just a matter of kind of putting it putting it on paper, I suppose is what you say. But um like there's no fear that the uh, focus or anything will be dropped from here to the semi-final because like winning the county was something else but the hunger that the girls have after we won the Munster at the weekend is just they want the All-Ireland and you can see it in them so there's no fear of them very well said. We've already spoken about the effect winning a county title will have on the young girls living in the Kilnamatra, Balivorni and uh, Kule area in general because they've got new heroes to look up to now. They've witnessed you know, winning a county what will or what has winning a provincial monster title done? Um, I I can't even put it into words what it's done for the the parishes. Like um, even when we went back to the Abbey for the meal and stuff after all the all the young girls out with the flags waiting to get picture taken with the cups and stuff. It's just it makes it all worthwhile. All the training and clubbing through the year when you can bring it back into the club and you can see the excitement in 
the girls' faces and stuff that, you know, it is possible to achieve greatness when you're with such a small club, so it's fantastic. How is Noel McDonough and how are the management team uh, handling your newfound uh, star status? Oh, they're on cloud nine, um, <laughs> but I know fear they'll bring us back, right back down to us again, come training on Thursday. Um, and just finally, uh, Unatui, captain, as we said, of the new Munster Junior Champions, uh, LGFA Champions, Neva Bond. An All-Ireland semi-final to look forward to and a whole lot to look forward to next year as well, which we're going to talk about in the new year, moving up a grade. This club um, and what's happening off the pitch, you seem to be moving in the right direction. There's momentum, there's belief. Whatever happens from here, is it bonus territory? Or I'm so, from the way you're speaking, it sounds like you're really determined uh, to get to that final. Obviously, you have to win a semi-final first but that uh, you don't want to rest on your laurels either just yet, that this is a team and a club with momentum. Oh, 100%. Like, of course, it's bonus territory. No, anything else we win, but we're not going to take the, um, the foot off the pedal yet. You know, uh, the hunger is there, even in the younger girls that are only 15 years old. So um, when, when, we, when we win the Ireland semi, I've no fear they keep pushing off the Ireland I've no fear of that either because uh, from the from your tone and from your delight but also from your determination not just uh, winning a Munster title but winning a county title in Cork Una Tuig, to you and to Neba Bon hearty congratulations from everybody in Cork's Red FM and reaching an All-Ireland Junior semi-final and come the time we will talk again hopefully uh, with another victory under your belts and hopefully an All-Ireland final to look forward to Thanks very much sir That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast Remember to subscribe to The Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune in to The Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and Valerie Wheeler between 6 and 7pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow The Big Red Bench across all our social media channels as well as visiting our official website redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6pm, Cork's Red FM.